It's time now for Empowered Family Talk with Francita Hallris. Do you want to empower families and young people in your community? Then take the time to make a tax-deductible contribution to the Coach Tate Fund. The Coach Tate Foundation is dedicated to helping young people and their families in learning and passing on the kinds of life skills that we all need to succeed. All too often, we hear about kids and their families having encountered life's difficulties that could have been easily avoided by knowing better decision-making skills. From anger management to money management to something as simple as learning to manage how we spend our time or how we use our job skills. Make a donation to the Coach Tate Fund. It'll help kids who need help and their families too. Make your contribution to the Coach Tate Fund. Get details at www.coachtatefoundation.com. And oh, by the way, thank you. May the words of our mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Good morning. It's family time. And welcome back, listeners. Our topic for today is deception, illusion, and double-mindedness on our pathway forward. Now, listeners, let's take a look at that word deception and understand the writing, the most dangerous kind of self-deception. Number one, what is self-deception, one may ask? It is when someone believes themselves to be that which indeed they are not. They think they have more than indeed they have. They desire not to appear what they really are, but desires to appear that which they really are not. Question number two, is self-deception a widespread problem today? Well, Scripture makes it clear. This is a significant problem. Scripture commands, make it clear that it is a widespread problem. Read Romans eleven twenty, Romans 12, 3, and 1 Corinthians 3, 18. Listeners for your homework reading. And B, Scripture makes it clear that it is not one or two persons, but often a whole generation that deceives themselves, Proverbs 30, 12. Christ observed in many, Revelations 3, 13, who taught themselves to be rich when they were really poor. C, Christ often reproves people for misconceptions about their own spiritual state of mind. Luke 12, 57. D. Scripture makes it clear this is a significant problem by giving many marks and evidences of grace for people to examine and test their condition. Why would all these marks of real grace be given in Scripture if there weren't not too much self-deception. Question number three, listeners, why should we be concerned about self-deception? Well, we need to consider the following, to be on our guard against self-deception. A, many are deceived 
Do not think of yourself more highly than you own. There are many whose delusions will be exposed when Christ will come and judge the world. This is clear from Proverbs 30, 12 and Matthew 7, 22. It is more than probable that there that where there is one who does not mistake, there are six who do mistake. I urge you, therefore, to search. At least God should be provoked to search and find out your iniquity. B, it is very hard to undeceive ourselves. This is an evil that is very hard to drive people away from. Quote, they hold fast deceit. They refuse to return, unquote, Jeremiah 8, 5. No matter what anyone says that will go down to their grave with this, I am in Christ, unquote. It is exceedingly hard for one under the power of this to abandon their mistakes. See, self-deception is mocking God. It is, as it were, denying the justice and omniscience of God for a person to live under such a mistake of self-deception. Galatians 6, 7 remind us, be not deceived, listeners. God is not mocked. Self-deception is one of the greatest possible evils. There are seven things that God hates, listeners. Proverbs 6, 16. But what is that which leads someone to these seven things? It is a, quote, a proud look, unquote. If you would not make to want to make yourself hateful in the eyes of the Lord, guard against self-deception. There are some who say, quote, I am holier than thou, unquote. But these are a smoke in his nostrils. Self-deception hardens us against the gospel. There is nothing that hinders the success of the gospel on many men and women's hearts today so much as this one. They do not think they need Christ, Proverbs 26, 12. There are lies in their right hand, so they cannot deliver their souls, Isaiah 44, 20. The two sorts of people who are the furthest away from conversion by the gospel are the presumptuous person and the hypocritical person, F. Self-deception will be a fearful discovery to make in eternity. What a dreadful day, listeners, some will have who think they're going to heaven when they will go down to the everlasting flames. They will see their hope has been nothing but a spotter's web and as a morning dream. I confess it is one of the most lamentable things to be under this mistaken presumption. It is like an ox going calmly to the slaughter. Question number four, listeners, how does self-deception actually happen? The reason this happens is that many use a false standard for examining themselves, and this leads them to a wrong conclusion. Here are the false standards that people use. A, an outward rather than spiritual view of the law. They use the latter rather than the spiritual meaning of the law than by the spiritual meaning of the law. This was the rule Paul took before his conversion. Quote, I was alive without the law, unquote, Romans 7, 9. And, quote, concerning the law, I was blameless, unquote, 
Philippians 3, 6. A person may be blameless in their views according to the love of the law, to whom Christ will say, quote, I never knew you. Depart from me, unquote, Matthew 7, 23. The law reaches to the inward person as well as the outward person. If you never committed one act of iniquity, yet if you think only one evil thought, the law pronounces a curse on you. If many of us sat down to judge ourselves by the spiritual meaning of the law, we might be forced to cry out, quote, woe is me, for I am undone, unquote. B, activity rather than grace. People judge themselves by their religious activities rather than whether it is done through grace. This is like the Pharisee, Luke 18, 12. Judge yourselves more by your graces than by your religious duties. C, extraordinary rather than ordinary experience. Some people are ready to judge their condition by the extraordinary experiences they have had rather than their ordinary way of living. D, conscience rather than the law. Some people think all is well if their consciences do not speak any evil against them. But the law has much to say to you when your conscience says nothing against you. Some think they can build their eternal blessedness on a peaceful or silent conscience, but do not always believe your conscience. E, listeners, good intentions rather than good practice. Some say, quote, I have good intentions, unquote when their behavior is challenged. But if you yourself, by your intentions, you may be making a very great mistake. If good intentions could bring someone to heaven, then every slothful person would be in heaven because they have desire. Proverbs 13, 4. The gospel and the law require not just intentions, listeners, but obedience. F, gifts rather than grace and practice. If you could speak about God like an angel and could understand all the mysteries within the scriptures, yet still did not practice in some measure what you know, God would say unto you, quote, I never knew you, unquote. What advantage will you have in knowing all the excellent things of God if you do not practice them? If knowledge could have brought people to heaven, Balaam would have been a shining star in heaven today. Do not judge yourself by your gifts and knowledge, but by your graces and your practices. G, human rather than divine approval. Some say, quote, I have the approval of all the saints. I may therefore conclude I will go to heaven, unquote. Although the approval of the saints may sometimes have its own weight, listeners, there are some in hell who have had much approval of the saints. Let Christ's approval be the rule by which you judge yourself. What advantage would it be if every minister called you a saint, but Christ called you a reprobate? H, outward blessings. You may have temporal blessings, such as food and drink and clothing in abundance, and yet be a stranger unto God. Do not judge your condition by God's outward dealings. The fifth question, listeners, why are people self-deceived? A, they do not examine themselves. The apostle follows his warning to help the Galatians guard against presumption with this direction. Quote, let every man prove his own work, unquote, Galatians 6, 4. Search yourselves much 
using God's standards. Some are unwilling to examine themselves because it will discourage them. Others are unwilling because they have already come to the conclusion. Why do I need to search? Am I not certain that Christ is mine? But we can never be too sure he is out. B, they do not exercise faith. Some do not exercise spiritual faith. Faith will help a Christian exceedingly in humbly walking with God, Romans 3, 27. They boast of what they had. Paul reproved those who boasted of the things they had received as though they had not received them, 1 Corinthians 4, 7. If you are conscious of that, it will keep you humble. D, they are ignorant of their corrupt nature. This is the mother of pride and presumption. When Paul speaks about original sins in Romans eleven twenty five, he warns them of presumption. E, they do not consider what they ought to be. If someone compared their attainment with, they, with what they ought to be, it would crush presumption. If we think we know anything, we know nothing as we ought to know. F, listener. They compare themselves with those who are worse than they are. Some judge themselves by the lives of those who are worse as the Pharisees did. Read Luke 18, 11. In conclusion, listeners, the question is, are you prepared to ask yourself this question? Quote, am I under this mistake and delusion? Unquote. The person who is furthest from it will be most ready to ask this question. Listeners, Search yourselves and see how it stands between God and you. Many assume quickly and easily they are forgiven and at peace with God. It is a matter of eternal concern. This is one of the most dreadful and terrible things we can be, listeners, a self-deceiver. Do not think yourselves to be something when you indeed are nothing, Andrew Gray. Amen. This podcast is supported by donations as well as liking and supporting on Power Family. You can go to www.fransana.com, which is P-H-R-A-N-T-C-E-N-A.com, and click donate. Well, welcome back, listeners. Now, let's take a note case uh, submitted by Teresa Walker, who gives us key points on Satan's illusion versus God's reality. Sometimes when we look at things, we don't see what's really there. The image we perceive differs from our reality. After looking more closely, we're able to see the hidden image. In Genesis 3, 1, the serpent uses trickery to lead Eve down the path of disobedience. He says to Eve, quote, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Eve corrected the serpent and explained that God said they could eat from any tree except the tree of knowledge of good and evil, or they would die. She remembered exactly what God had commanded, but the serpent did not give up. In verse 4, he says, quote, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Unquote. The serpent was persistent and cunning and made Eve doubt what she knew. He purposely 
deceived her by changing her perception of what God's instructions was. It's important for us to be familiar with this scripture, listen, so that we can recognize Satan's trickery. He will twist scripture in our minds so that we don't even recognize the wrong in what we do. He will use pride to convince us that what we are doing is acceptable. He will use our insecurities, our loneliness, our fear, our frustrations to change our perception of God's word and our situation if we do not have a firm foundation of Scripture. What is Satan's illusion? It's possible. It's impossible is what Satan's illusion is. God's word says what is impossible with men is possible with God. Luke 18, 27, Satan's illusion. Quote, no one cares, unquote. God's word said, for God so loved the world that he gave us his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life, John three sixteen. Satan's illusion, I can't do it, unquote. God's word says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, Philippians four sixteen. Satan's illusion, I'm afraid. God's word says, for God did not give us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline, 2 Timothy 1, 7. Satan's illusion, I'm worried. God's word says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you, 1 Peter 5, 7. Satan's illusion, I feel alone. God's word says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you, Hebrews 13, 5. The last one, listeners, Satan's illusion, I won't be forgiven. God's word says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness, unquote. 1 John 1, 9. Listeners, remember that things are not always what they seem. Satan is constantly scheming to change our perception of our circumstances. He will persistently try to discourage us or lead us into disobedience. So carefully, listeners, guard your heart against these illusions and examine God's word for his reality for your life. I'll say that again, listeners. So carefully guard your heart against these illusions and examine God's word for his reality for your life. Amen. This broadcast is brought to you in partnership with the Coach K Foundation. You can support the broadcast by going to www.coachkfoundation.com, which is www.coachkfoundation.com. Any kind of donation supports us so we can get the great news to you. God bless. Welcome back, listeners. We'll take a note, on what does some of these symptoms of a double-minded person look like? And let's start with James 1, 8. The Bible says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. 
A double mind is having in the mind opposite or opposing views at different times. To be double-minded is the same as having a double heart. 1 Corinthians 12:33 and Psalm 12:2. Double-mindedness, listeners, is a sickness of the heart or inner man and cannot be corrected with medicine or any medical procedure. It is indeed a disease of the heart that should be recognized and addressed. Double-mindedness, like any other disease, has its symptoms, too. The symptom is, quote, instability, unquote, which is described by James as one who is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. Verse 6, to be double-minded is to be inconsistent vacillating to be and act one way today and be and act some other way tomorrow. When the life is unstable, the mind is unsettled and lacks solid convictions. A person with a double mind lives a double standard, is two-faced, double-tongued, they speak with forked tongues, they're deceitful, and treacherous. People who are double-minded are not sought out for service in any capacity because they aren't faithful and can't be trusted. You cannot put confidence in a double-minded person. Quote, confidence in an unfaithful man in a time of trouble is like a broken tooth and a foot out of joint. Proverbs 25, 19. Double-mindedness was a problem with the early Christians that James had to address. Double-mindedness is one of the key words of the Episcopal 1 and 8 and 4 and 8. It implies half-hearted allegiance, an attempt to combine the service of God with the service of self and the world. We're beginning to have a double mind when our faith begins to waver, when we begin to doubt God. One verse six. Jesus said, quote, no man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Yet ye cannot serve God and Mammon. Matthew six twenty four. Mammon is the name of the deity given to material wealth. There's no mention anywhere of anyone being triple-minded who is triple-faced and three-tongued. That would surely be monstrous, wouldn't it, listeners? Thank God we only have to deal with duplicity or duality of mind. We are either of a double mind or single mind. We are commanded to be and should strive for, quote, singleness of heart, unquote, or mind, Acts 2, 46, and Ephesians 6, 5. Colossians 3.22. It's only when we have a single mind or heart in our service for God can we seek and serve God with a whole heart, our whole being. Read Psalm 119.2.10.34.58. To seek and serve God wholeheartedly is to, quote, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul, and with all thy might, unquote, Deuteronomy 6, 5, 32. 
To be double-minded and not single-hearted or whole-hearted for God is a sin. James tells the Christians who are double-minded, quote, purify your heart, ye double-minded, unquote, James 4, 8. Double-mindedness can be described as carnality or worldliness. When Christians are trying to please God and still fit in the world at the same time, they're double-minded. Their loyalty or allegiance is neither with the world or with God. Only when Christians seek and serve God in singleness of mind and with all their heart are they seeking and serving in sincerity. Anything short of this is a sin, listeners. What does it mean, listeners, to be double-minded? Let's ask that question of ourselves. What does it really mean to be double-minded in today's time? Quote in 2 Corinthians 10, 5, remind us, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Double-minded can simply mean to be undecided. The process of making decisions isn't a sin. A permanent state of indecision is. We make many decisions every day, listeners. Faith-based decisions obey God's word, which exists to protect our hearts and help us to thrive in his will for our lives. The necessary sacrifice to obey God's truth, sometimes it fights against what we feel like doing. We fail to trust what God has waiting for us on the other side of obedience. We're all guilty of, quote, phoning a friend, unquote, before we consult the creator of the universe on what to do or how to make a decision. This is double-mindedness, listeners. Wavering too long may lead to hypocrisy. Doubt, as James recorded, fuels double-mindedness. To call into the question the truth of, to be uncertain, to lack confidence, distrust, to consider unlikely. These are all definitions of doubt, as is fear. Christians are to be united with Christ, being like-minded with him. We cannot have minds like Christ, listeners, and serve the world simultaneously. Dan Delzo wrote for the Christian Post, he says this, quote, a double-minded life will circumvent much of the good the Holy Spirit wants to work in you and through you, unquote. Amen. Now, listeners, in our close, let's take a notate of eight warning signs that you can look out for in a double-minded person, even yourself. One, content of our prayers. First John five fourteen reminds us this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Prayerlessness is our lifeline to God. Jesus died to make a way for us to approach our Father in heaven by atoning for our sins with his death on the cross. When we pray to God using this lifeline, do we really believe we are heard? It's possible to fall into a rhythm of praying half-heartedly, not believing God hears our prayers and can and sometimes does answer them directly. Doubt in our daily prayers, 
leads to double-mindedness, listeners. Number two, self-centered motives. Philippians 2, 3 through 4 reminds us, do nothing out of selfish gain or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others over yourselves, not looking to your own self-interest, but each of you to the interest of others. The human heart defaults easily to manipulating and self selfish intentions. Following Christ requires humble heart, listener, and we seek to serve others. We can run our plans and actions through the filter of Paul's words to the Philippians and prayerfully ask God to expose areas of selfish motives in our lives. It's not always obvious, especially when our plans align with what the world encourages as acceptable behavior. Number three, listener, our speech. Proverbs 16, 23 through 24 reminds us gracious words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. There is a way that appears to be right, listener, but in the end, it leads to death. Double-mindedness says one thing and does another. The Bible is clear about our need to watch our tongues, not just eliminated, quote, bad words, but talking in a way that makes people feel bad. Our words are powerful and can neither or either reflect our love of Christ or pull the rug out from underneath us. Gossip, criticism, even negative self-talk and condemnation are not a reflection of what who God says we are nor does this kind of speech reflect his purpose for our lives, listener. It's never the action alone or a specific set of vocabulary God is concerned about. Rather, he's concerned about the heart behind our choices in these words. God knows our hearts and the underlying intention of the things we choose to say. Number four, the company we keep or don't keep. Galatians 2.12 reminds us, listeners, for before certain men came before James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. Ancient Bible times shows, and they saw cliques and prejudices too, discrimination, ostracizing others, all of the injustices and injustice we still battle with today. In the verses above, Peter was embarrassed to be sitting with the Gentiles when the Jews showed up. The company we keep or choose not to keep says a lot about the status of our double-mindedness, listeners. God places people in our lives on purpose. We exist in our families and communities to look around and love all those within our reach. Number five, disobedience. John 14, 15 reminds us, if you love me, keep my commands. Double-minded Christians love the Lord. It's frightening to think we can love him with all our hearts, but not reflect an iota of it in the way we live our lives. Heartbreaking to think when we are pulled to any shred of double-mindedness, we are not loving God the way we want to, intend to, or are made to. To love God is to obey him not in a legalistic fashion, but in a heartfelt way that trusts his will in our lives completely. The Bible makes a clear list that if we love the Lord, 
we will want to keep his commandments. This means following what the scripture tells us to do. James 2.20 reminds us, you foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? James is passionate about our obedience to the Lord, but not in a legalistic rule-following checklist to be loved kind of way. God looks at a heart listener. He wants us to wholeheartedly obey him because we recognize his love for us and desire for it to be reciprocal. That being said, faith without deeds is useless. When we love God, know Jesus, and follow faithfully, not perfectly, but faithfully, the evidential deeds, obedient way we love the people placed in our lives become a part of our everyday lives. Number seven, listen, our priorities, or lack of. Isaiah 45, 5 reminds us, I am the Lord, and there is no other. Apart from me, there is no God, unquote. God has made it clear, listeners, through our scripture that he comes first. Trying to live without placing God first is like walking around with our underwear on outside of our pants. Something would clearly be off. For Christ followers, it might not be as obvious as the underpants example. But the parallel to how we are to be living our lives is serious. How can we be prepared to walk out into the world without letting God prepare our hearts each day. Putting him first is literally putting him first, reversing our thoughts to him in prayer and seeking him in his word each day. Our heart is where our time is. So let's spend more time with the Lord. And finally, number eight, impatience. Ecclesiastes 7, 9 reminds us, do not be quickly provoked in your spirit. For anger resides in the lap of fools, unquote. It's hard to express our trust in God when we're losing our patience. We lose our patience with people in our lives and in situations God has asked us to wait on. Patience is a virtue, listeners. We are supposed to be watering in our lives. Patience with ourselves first so we don't fall into a legalistic view of our faith and pretend to be people we're not, even to God himself. He loves us as we are, messed up and broken. He asks us to just be faithful and patient as he daily sanctifies our hearts. Amen. Now, listeners, our homework assignment question for you, are we ready? and prepare to lead by example today for our next generation? How can we lead others, listeners, if we can't lead ourselves? And the last question we must ask ourselves is, what does your own self-deception, illusion, and double-mindedness look like? What does it sound like? What does it smell like? What does it taste and feel like? And what does it sense like? Are you paying attention? Amen. Our closing point for today is a poem entitled Self-Deception. I may have lived once with a kept self-deception just to prove I could undo the impossible others knew. All that I am is what I choose to be. 
And only I have the ability to qualify what it is I feel. I had been taught to limit my dreams, to pursue those already done, and to follow in the footsteps made, paid by others to accept by everyone. But my dreams to crave are my own to taste, and I knew my path to take had nothing to do with a familiar place. I may have once lived with a kept self-deception just to prove I could undo the impossible others knew. And stubbornly, my beliefs I kept, knowing my dreams to see were meant for me to keep and not to dismiss as impossibilities. And today I am free. That reality of a path I took with a faith kept to leave behind what others thought impossible to find or dispute my doing was a waste of time. No longer am I living with self-deception, although grateful at a time self-deceiving was a choice I made to undo limitation of any to stay in my mind to roam freely, to convince me of what I could or could not, eventually achieve to have done. All that I am is what I choose to be, and only I have the ability to qualify what it is I feel to know it real or not. Lawrence Fertilier. Amen. Our second poem is entitled Self-Deception by Little King of Sorrows, and it reads as such. You can't always believe everything you hear. A field is a field that lie is still a lie. You may know the truth, but would much rather die. Sometimes you make excuses to cover the light, like sunglasses at noon pretending it's night. You tell this to others. What a beautiful evening. Don't you agree, my dear friends? They look at you like you're crazy. Some nod and just smile, but they know the truth. You live in denial. And when the day comes to completion and the moon rules the sky while others are sleeping, you stay up and cry. You ask yourself why. Throw the glasses away and enjoy the next day. Don't be a fool for deception to rule. Don't be the face of a heartbroken race. Shed that last tear. Live in the truth. Your redemption is near. Be in the now, this moment of time. Let your smile be light to attract the sublime. Laugh after laugh. Step after step. You'll no longer worry about the sorrow you kept. Stay one step ahead of the past. Amen. Empower your family with the dynamic new book by Francina Holrus, Our Sixth Sense and Purpose, The Power in Knowing Who You Are. It's the book that gives you insights into life's problems. Francina Holrus is an author, motivational speaker, and national broadcaster who believes the answers to your problems lies within the knowledge that was once traditionally passed down by families. But that knowledge has been short-circuited by today's faster pace. The book, Our Sixth Sense and Purpose, The Power in Knowing Who You Are, brings that accumulated wisdom to the problems that all families face. You'll find your copy of Our Sixth Sense and Purpose, The Power in Knowing Who You Are at Amazon and at Better Bookstores. 
Empower your life with the dynamic new book, Our Sixth Sense and Purpose, The Power in Knowing Who You Are by Francina Holrus.